Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Connor Whiteley, bringing you with psychology news, articles and other interesting psychology related articles. You where I can find the podcast notes and more interesting psychology related things and you can get your free 8 psychology book box set at connorwhiteley.net. Now let's get on to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 149 of Psychology World Podcast with me, Connor Whiteley. And today's episode is on 5 things therapists shouldn't do in therapy. And it is Wednesday the 4th of May 2022 as I record this. So may the 4th be with you like all of that stuff. <laughs> so today's podcast episode is actually a really interesting one though because it's always like good to see you that what we like shouldn't do as a future or current psychologist and therapist so it was actually really interesting to like get into this because of course all of this is always extremely rare and the chances of us actually doing this are so minuscule that it's almost borders on the point of like not talking about it but it's always good to get other people's perspectives so these are my perspectives on these um, five different things that are very well known within clinical psychology Ecology, though, so this is definitely worth um, a listen. Even if you're currently a, a therapist, it's still good to be like reminded or just how to get these sort of things from another perspective. So, we're moving on to the psychology news section. Because this is a Wednesday night, as I record this, because it's my birthday coming up, so I can't do this in the normal manner. Well, I haven't got the email whether I usually read it from the British Psychological Society Research Digest, so I'm sort of um, improvising. Somewhat I'm on their Twitter feed, and there are two articles that I'm interested in. And the first one is, We unconsciously pay more attention to someone who has dilated pupils. How do you know when someone else is paying attention to you? If they're staring at you intensely, that's a pretty obvious giveaway, but there are far subtler um, signals such as the size of their pupils. As Columbabato and Brian Scholar at Yale University note in a new paper in the Journal of Experimental Psychology General, our pupils automatically and uncontrollably dilate when we're emotionally aroused, working at something else or just attending to something. Pupil size has been used as an objective indicator of all of these things in a wealth of studies. But if another person is directing their attention towards you, you need to know about it. It might be attention that you should reciprocate, build a relationship or it might be a signal of a potential threat. So Combato and Skull wondered, open a quote, if the apprehension of a pupil size is a helpful to scientists, might it be similarly helpful to us in everyday life? Close a quote. So I'm not going to read any more about it, but I thought it was a really good article that actually teaches us um, a bit more about biological psychology and our own behavioural cues. And this article is something that we can actually apply to everyday life, which is always useful because it's always nice to have a break from more abstract psychology concepts. That is always really good. And the other one, I was always debating on whether I should do because, uh, because of course, this basically pushes against the line that I never try to cross on this podcast, which is that this does sort of edge into current politics. But I thought that because this is a psychology podcast, and this is very much a psychology-based, I thought that I would. So, the last one is, a new analysis finds that Trump supporters showed an increase in racial and religious prejudice 
after he became president, and this seems to be because they believed these views had to become more socially acceptable. So of course I will not go into too much of the politics, but this is what I hear, I think is really interesting you know, whenever someone like, gets into power, because of whatever your sort of like, beliefs and uh, your own personal views, or whenever someone who shares those similar beliefs gets into power, that can actually be quite validating, and it can actually be a sign of changing and of changing like social norms. And I, I guess like that respect, the aspect that were like to, to some extent, um, political attitudes, social norms, etc. Uh, yeah, but like, essentially, sort of take a like top down approach, or where they sort of like started in the top and then they filter through it down like to the masses. As or you could argue, because we live in a democracy, it's actually the like other way around, that, which is actually a lot more likely. <laughs> okay, that's really, really interesting. And yeah, I'm just not going to go into it any more than uh, that, simply because we will edge into current politics. So that's enough psychology news section. So let's move on to the personal update. So we're moving on to the personal update. This week has definitely been like a bit like um, all over the place ever because, as I've like said before, it is my birthday on Friday. Yes, so I'll be like twenty-one. So I'm really am like looking forward to it because I'm doing tons of like different things. I'll be like family and friends. So that should be like really good. And then on like Saturday, I'm like going out. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that that was supposed to be a be yeah, like a big like surprise. But now. Yeah, but now it just turns out that I know exactly like what are we doing now. So we're going like axe throwing or on Saturday for my birthday or with like the family. So that should be really like fun and interesting. And then on like um, Sunday we're having a massive family a barbecue though. But so lots of stuff like going on though. But it also means that I'm having to do with like podcast really early in the week though. But I don't mind that. And on slightly more relevant stuff like this week I've been like continuing with my site ecology placement and typing up over this like literature though and there is something that I really really do want to like give you as a bit of practical advice so you know when you've got like a massive like set of data and in your psychology the report you like want to make it really easy for the reader to understand it so but you go right I'm going to put in a graft and it's going to be great that all sounds fine though but the problem with a Microsoft Excel and um, and to be honest this is the only problem that I have with the program is that whenever you put in Something that could be mistaken as a date, it also formats it into a data. For example, the group that I wanted to enter had a puppy since between 1 and 10. And of course, that sounds fine and really like logical. But the problem is, is that if you put 1-10 into Excel, the problem is, is that that turns it to the 1st of October, which is normally really useful. But when you're trying to do um, formatting and a credit table for a graph, yeah, that is absolutely like rubbish. But in the case that you ever come in to this like um, problem, then all that you need to do is that you need to go over to the server that like contains um, whatever group that you like want, and then you need to do Control One, and then it lets you format it. So that's the really important thing and the important tip and the sort of like takeaway from this personal update. <laughs> yeah, but it took me ages to like figure that out and to like get it to work. So. <laughs> So hopefully you will not have to do that in the future. 
and a, a massive thank you to a really lovely email that I like just I got from a, a woman called Serengeta and I'm really sorry that I've probably just like butchered it but it was a really nice email saying that how like a grateful she was for social psychology regards to social and cultural psychology and she was really pleased that, well, about the like writing style and the flow of it and how the concepts were explained in a really easy to understand way though but that was a massive thank you for her for your email. If you're listening, I really do appreciate it. And as always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, conwhitely, conwhitely.net. You can always leave a comment on the show notes at conwhitely.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at sci-fi-whitely. I always love to hear from all of you because it really does help the podcast feel more like a conversation. And today's episode has been sponsored by Formulation in Psychotherapy. This is a great, really easy to understand book, like all of mine are. That explains what is formulation, why is it useful, and how are the different therapeutic approaches that use it. And even though this book has been out for a little while, I still love it and it still continues to sell, to sell though. As well as tons of people still find it really, really useful because formulation is where mental health should be going. And all of the psychological interventions, because formulation is about tailor-making the therapy and the psychological intervention to the individual's personal need, and that's why I absolutely love it. This is a great, really easy to understand book about this really fascinating topic. And if you want to go into clinical psychology, then you really do need to like understand this at a really deep level. So really, really interesting book that I just flat out love. So that is a formulation in psychotherapy available from all major ebook retailers and you can get the paperback, large print and hardback version from Amazon at your local bookstore and local library if you request it. So let's go on to the main content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about five things therapists shouldn't do in therapy. And I'm just going to dive into today's episode. As a current or future psychotherapist, it is always important to know what definitely not to do in therapy. Since therapy is a delicate process where relatively vulnerable people share their thoughts, feelings and experiences with us. Therefore, if we do present certain red flags to them, then this can harm the therapy, our clients and our own reputation. This is why learning about what we shouldn't do is important. And of course, I should actually start off by saying that red flags are extremely rare in therapy because all therapists are professionals as well as we learn what is and what is not good to do during that training. But it's still always good to have some reminders. And it's good to know what not to do in case you want to become a future therapist. So what are these five things? Boundary thy elations. So as a therapist, there is a relatively not so fine line when it comes to boundaries to some extent. Since we do need to ask a fair amount of semi-personal questions about a person so that we can understand them as well as the therapeutic alliance for requires us to maintain professionalism and work with the client to help them alleviate their psychological distress and improve their lives. Therefore, this is why boundaries are so important, so our clients that feel vulnerable and are like they're exposing their souls to us know that they're in a safe place. As a result, the most obvious breaches of boundaries, like non-consensual touching, is strictly forbidden, and your client should basically run away from anyone who does this to the less obvious breaches, like asking too many questions about unrelated matters, like if your client wants to 
helping anxiety and you keep asking them about their sex life. You just don't do that. I think that's obvious, but it does bear saying. And another just flat out creepy boundary like elation, which I was actually quite surprised at that this has happened in the entire history of that psychotherapy, is that if the um, a therapist asks the clients where they live and it tries to run into them outside of therapy. Not only is this just flat out creepy, but it's just inappropriate. Overall, always, always stay behind the line of a professionalism. Ineffective communication. As I've mentioned on the podcast a, a few times, in therapy, effective uh, communication is everything because we need to be able to communicate with our clients, whether this is about what they're going through making them feel safe and comfortable, or explaining a bit of psychoeducation to them. Communication is a critical, and bad communication can really harm the therapeutic success. In addition, ineffective communication doesn't just have to be poor communication skills, like struggling to talk to the client. It can also be only using technical terms to explain things to a client, so that the client cannot understand them, and to be honest, I think that we all know that as like um, university students, I think that we all know at least one um, person who only explains um, stuff like uh, to us, uh, you know, like uh, to us and to their family in like a uh, technical terms. <laughs> yeah, just don't do that, please. <laughs> Equally, it can be a therapist who cannot understand what the client is uh, experiencing even after several attempts. Overall, it is critical to make sure therapists have effective uh, communication skills so that they can effectively help the client. As well as, if a therapist cannot understand what the client is saying, it is of course important to talk about this problem. Yet, if the client cannot get a satisfactory answer, then it might be a good idea for them to get a new therapist. Specific or false promises. This, I really doubt, happens on purpose. At least, I hope so. But, as we know, therapy is not an instant fix. As well as in clinical psychology, we acknowledge that mental health difficulties are not an illness or a disease. They are part of a person and they are the maladaptive coping mechanisms um, to help them deal well with the world. Therefore, whilst the therapist will introduce themselves, what's going on and the time frame of the treatment, in addition to all of the other stuff, like explaining confidentiality at the start of a therapy, they must not make promises or guarantees like in a 10 sessions of cognitive behavioural therapy You'll be cured. <laughs> no. Well, therapy just doesn't work like that because of all the factors that affect therapeutic success, including the client's own capacity to change. Unfair judgment. Judgment. So I fully appreciate it, and this is something that I actually sort of like emphasise here. We are all human at the end of the day, meaning that we do, unfortunately, sometimes we do judge other people. We do have our own personal opinions and like and dislike other people. But when it comes to clinical psychology work, we need to leave all of those things at behind to some extent because a good therapist will ask follow-up questions to understand and to clarify what the client is experiencing. And that is far from a bad thing as it means that we get to really understand what's going on and that means that we can hopefully make more accurate assessments and interventions. However, a bad therapist will explicitly and sometimes immediately pass judgment on a client and their decisions. Or even make them feel embarrassed and ashamed. Don't do that. Don't get me wrong. I know that there are some great clinical psychologists who listen to the podcast. And I am certain that they could all tell us some stories. And of course, we are going to hear some very unfortunate stories in our careers. 
However, we do not make people feel worse than they already do. Because as I mentioned in my clinical psychology, the afflictions of Domino 1, that goes, that goes completely against the clinical psychology mandate. It is our job not to pass a judgment and alleviate psychological distress and improve lives. We are done make people feel worse. And we are still need to remember how much courage, bravery and balls it takes to go to therapy in the first place. Excessive self-disclosure. This certainly has to be one of the most interesting red flags in a therapy area since, since the line is so within between this has been great and awful. Since it depends on your therapeutic orientation, how much you better use this at all, due to psychoanalysis prefers to not use self-disclosure as they feel that it is better to be a blank slate. But other therapeutic approaches prefer self-disclosure used carefully, as it can foster the connection, helping the therapeutic alliance to strengthen and grow. Personally, I agree with the latter, because from the psychology of relationships, we know how self-disclosure can drive liking and friendship behaviour, and this is arguably important in therapy. Nonetheless, self-disclosure needs to be used carefully. Because this can be a problem if it is used excessively, resulting in the therapy becoming centred around the therapist, or the therapist saying something that makes the client feel uncomfortable. As well as I completely agree with what Illinois Greenberg, PhD, said on that topic. Open a quote. It should be carefully targeted for the client's benefit. Close a quote. Conclusion. Overall, as I've mentioned in the beginning of the podcast episode, these evidence flags are extremely rare, and I'm sure that, and I'm sure that the therapists listening to the podcast can affirm that. So, in case there are any future therapists listening today, I want to remind you how little you would need to worry about this. That's because your training will certainly cover it. Also, but we've covered a lot of the different red flags that can harm the success of the therapy and the chance of alleviating our kinds of distress and in improving their lives. So, of course. Never be constantly worried about these flags, but you just have to have them in the back of your mind, just in that case. So I really hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and that you got something out of it. I know that I did, and I really do like these more sort of awareness-based podcast episodes that are sort of half a practical and half awareness. And if you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help us with the words about the podcast. And if you want to learn more, then please check out Formulation in Psychotherapy, available in all of the usual places. But if you didn't want to buy a book, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com to give the podcast a bit like one-time support. So have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. And if you want a free eight book psychology box set, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.